0: You're listening to The People's Podcast.
1: I was honest, was I brutally honest? Yes, but I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another.
0: This is JSC Radio.
2: Jason, we can only imagine how excruciating this is. The not knowing at this hour where your child is. Any parent can Imagine the horror of that. Have you spoken to any of your son Cody's friends? <clears throat> Actually, yes, I have. We, uh, we got woke up last night around one in the morning by the, some of the girls, Cody's friends, knocking on our door, um, saying that there was a mass shooting at Borderline. Um, some of the, his girlfriends got out, but they, they didn't know where Cody was. Did they describe to you anything about the scene? Chaotic. Um, Just like a normal shooting would be, it'd be very chaotic. There's only two entrances, uh, one entrance and then one little exit. So I would figure that a very crowded bar would be very uh, chaotic. What happens when you call his cell phone? nothing just rings rings and rings
0: you're listening to the people's podcast this is jsc radio ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages we're doing this again and this sadly as followers of this podcast And by the way, I appreciate you once again listening. This is episode 89 of JSC Radio. People who follow this podcast know how I feel about the scourge of gun violence here in the United States. This is nothing new. It is highly unfortunate, and it is something that it seems this country has no interest in handling. Anyone who's followed this show since 2016 knows that I have said pretty much the same thing after Orlando. What happened in Orlando was disgraceful and distressing and unfortunately it has become a part of the America we live in. We can hold all the moment of silence for the victims that we'd like. We can hold all the vigils, all the rallies, but none of that will mean shit if the people we elect and send to Washington decide not to grow a set and do something about this country's archaic damn gun laws. I pretty much said the same thing after Las Vegas. It's one of the worst things about living in the United States is fear that I'm going to get shot by some crazy bastard. With a grudge. I'm gonna get killed by some guy with a political agenda. I'm gonna get killed because some dude had a short circuit and decides he just wants to ice 58 people, wound over 500. It's 600 people in one night. And I got elected officials saying, what can gun laws do to stop something like this? I don't know. You might be able to keep track of the damn guns. And I. Pretty much said the same thing after Parkland. What are we doing exactly here? 17 people died, most of them kids. One of them was a football coach, but most of them kids. The harrowing stories of kids hiding under desks, hiding in closets, shaking when the police finally are able to storm the building after the guy's already gotten away and been caught alive riding around in an Uber. The difference between Parkland and Columbine is we didn't have Snapchat. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't really have anything resembling social media at the time. Even though we knew how dangerous and how frightening and how scary the prospect is of walking into a school And having some crazy bastard with a grudge or some weirdo terrorist or just some disgruntled teacher or former employee suddenly barge in with a gun and start firing. I I don't know what to say. Each time I've gotten on here, gotten progressively angrier and louder and voiced a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of disgust. And I've been rather incredulous to, uh, to what we have going on here. A week ago when I did episode 88, I talked about how this current alleged president of ours wants to just magically in his haste to try to stave off what turned out to be pretty huge gains for Democrats in this past Tuesday's election that he was bandying about the idea of just arbitrarily getting rid of the most important points of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. And I, I made it a point to note that you can't do it by edict. This is not a monarchy. He is damn sure not a king. And you can't do that without a congressional amendment to the Constitution. Because if you can do that to the 14th Amendment, you could just as easily do that to the 2nd which is by all accounts treated as if it is the untouchable number 1 right in America more so than freedom of the press which is under attack by this administration the 14th amendment the 13th the 5th amendment 22nd amendment your 20th amendment your right to vote it's it's so much a part of this country's dna To allow this to happen. And it happened again. In Thousand Oaks, California. We have another day of stories. Like that. That you heard in the open. You have another. Day of mourning. You have another set of anger. You've got another Twitter. Hashtag. Bemoaning. Another mass shooting. And I brought this up on more than a couple of occasions in episodes 11 and 52 and 67. And now episode 89 of how mass shootings, gun violence have just taken off in this century and particularly in this decade. The mass shooting in Parkland at Stoneman Douglas High School, for example, earlier this year on Valentine's Day, that mass shooting bumped the Columbine Massacre out of the top 10. It got knocked down to number 11. And the most outrageous thing is, is that when you look at the top 10 mass shootings in this country's history. Number 10, San Bernardino, 2015. Number nine, Parkland on Valentine's Day this year. Number eight, the tower shooting at the University of Texas in 1966. That is by far the oldest one on this list. The San Isidro McDonald's massacre in 1984, which is number seven. The Luby's shooting in 1991 is number six. And when that occurred, In 1991, the thought of 24 people being mowed down at one time was galling to the nation. That's now number six. Number five was last year's Sutherland Springs shooting. Number four, Sandy Hook, 2012. 28 people, really 27 because they included the shooter, but 27 people shot dead, a majority of them first graders, kids five and six years old. Number three, the Virginia Tech shooting in 2007. Number two, the Orlando nightclub shooting. The one that elicited number 11, episode 11. And number one was Las Vegas. Where 58 people were killed. More people died in that shooting than died on one of the flights on 9-11. I could sit here and yell and scream. I could sit here and get angry and loud and swear. And internally, I'm doing that. But at a certain point, it just resonates. It should resonate with sensible human beings. It should resonate with sensible people that something has to give Something has to change. You can't keep doing nothing. 12 people go into a country bar. It's no different than what happened in Orlando except there were fewer deaths. 12 people go into a country bar on a Wednesday night in November in California. And as always, the shooter Comes in, guns blazing, the idea that if there had just been a good guy with a gun, everything would have been fine. There was a good guy with a gun there, and he got gunned down before he could get through the door, as I mentioned in episode 11. He's one of the 12 victims. He's a police officer who's on the verge of retirement and was taken out by a cowardly, mentally unstable shooter. A white guy, because let's just keep it real. Most of these shooters are. I know Virginia Tech was an Asian man. I know the Navy Yard shooting was a black man, and that's a rarity. But you know the profile of these guys. I know the Orlando shooter was an Arab American. But you know. This guy comes in, just starts pumping off shots into women. He seemingly had a history of, or the people, not just men and women. He had a history of assault when he was in the military. He had a violent attitude. They tried to attribute mental illness, PTSD, but I caution against doing that because PTSD does not make people into raging, violent maniacs. I'm trying to keep myself as measured as I possibly can be because... I'm almost out of energy and emotion for this. Not the emotion of this is awful because it is. But how how often do we have to keep going through this? The the stakes have been raised. The ante has been upped. Cause I must stress to you, twice in this decade or in the last decade, really three times in the last decade. The most violent mass shooting title has, has changed hands. You have to remember that when Columbine happened, it was an international story. Fifteen teenagers died on that day. There have been ten mass shootings since then where there have been more. There have been one, two, three of them that have had twice as many casualties as Columbine. That's a problem. Gun control does not mean confiscating weapons. As I have stressed on every single episode that is hit on this topic, you have to go through background checks. You have to go through more hoops to get a driver's license, to rent a car, to buy a car, to rent an apartment, to buy a house, to get a credit card. You have to go through more for all those things than you do to get a gun. And when we talk about mental health, because that seems to be one of those one of those go-to moves to try to deflect away from all the carnage. Sure, let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about how people were called to this guy's house and so-called experts in mental health didn't see the need to bring him in for observation. Then a few months later, 12 people are dead. Kids. College students, young adults, a police officer shot dead on a Wednesday night at a country bar. Is it any different from what occurred on that Saturday night in the gay bar down in Orlando? Is it any different than what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School or Parkland at Stoneman Douglas High School or at a concert in Las Vegas where... Almost 60 people were killed and more than 800 suffered some sort of injury because of guns. It doesn't make a difference if they're semi-automatic rifles or AR-15s or pistols. This dude was walking in throwing smoke bombs and then emptying off clips into people, banana clips, the illegal ones, but yet he was able to get one, yet he had mental health issues and he had a history of violence and he could still get the gun. This country and its obsession with weapons, its obsession with guns, its obsession with protecting the Second Amendment while the First Amendment is under all-out assault. You've got a president, and I put that in quote marks, who bandies about the idea of ending parts of the 14th Amendment while tucking his head in the sand on the second. You've got a whole new crop of Congress members coming in in January. Thanks to what happened on Tuesday. Maybe this is the generation that if nothing else makes enough noise to start to tilt things in their favor. You can't do much about the Senate, but now you can start to do things. You can start to push a little bit more and push back and fight back because we can't have too many more stories like what happened there with Jason Kaufman, the gentleman you heard at the start of this segment. He did that interview on CNN, not knowing where his son was at the time and was unable to fathom what was going on. You could hear it in his voice, the pain and the fear and the angst and the anguish that he's going through. But this is what our country, quote unquote, allows to continue to happen. They allow to continue to have men having to stand out in front of hospitals wondering where their son is
2: what are you going to do next i don't have a plan Um, my plan is basically just wait go to the hospitals and hopefully get a phone call from my son or from one of his friends that he has contacted he hasn't contacted anybody uh even his best girlfriends are out just waiting for him. So we're thinking that in the chaos, he might've dropped his phone and ran, but I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but I don't know what else to do.
0: His son was later discovered in the bar as one of the victims. This what we want? Is it? I don't even have it in me to, to yell. But please understand that I'm pissed off and I'm fed up with this. And so many of these other parents are fed up with this. So many other people are fed up with this. A lot of the people in that bar were survivors of the attack in Las Vegas. Because don't get it twisted, it was an attack. It was a terrorist attack. Just like the shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, which was, what was that? That was barely a week ago, wasn't it? Two weeks ago or something like that. It, it seems because everything runs together. It was two weeks ago. It was a domestic terrorist attack. And this is how some people expect us to just live for the quote unquote price of freedom. Some of the same people who were lucky to survive Las Vegas didn't survive this. And there needs to be changed. There needs to be more done. I had to get this out. This episode won't be dominated by this but please understand that we're with you. And for the sensible people who listen to this podcast in different parts of the the world, the listeners in Canada and Sweden and the UK and Ireland, Egypt and Northern Africa, even down in South America and Ecuador. Hola, which is gracias to the people listening across the globe, people listening in Japan and in Spain who understand what I'm saying and within the realm of my voice, please get it that we here in the United States, we're sick of this crap too. And we need to be better people and we need to do more as a nation to protect our own instead of protecting our own interests, which is really what a lot of this crap is about. I'm going to take a quick break here because coming up as this show goes along, going to have a hell of a conversation with a really good guy who's written a book that can help a lot of people's lives in the professional world but I wanted to make sure that before I talked to him I got this out there we still hear you and we're with you and please understand we want more than thoughts and prayers my name is Scott Smith and this is the 89th episode of the people's podcast this is JSC radio Nothing but love for the people out there in Thousand Oaks, California, Parkland, Florida, Orlando, Florida, Las Vegas, and everywhere else that's been victimized by this scourge called gun violence. This country needs to do something, and we need to do something now. We'll be back after this.
3: My name is Susan Orfanos. My son was Tel Orfanos. We lost him last night at the borderline shooting. My son was in Las Vegas with a lot of his friends, and he came home. He didn't come
2: home last night, and I don't want prayers. I don't want thoughts. I want gun control, and I hope to God nobody else sends me any more prayers. I want gun control. No more guns. Thank you.
0: You're listening to The People's Podcast.
1: I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another.
0: This is Jay. S-C Radio So, you know, I'm a dog And I'm kind of new to this family But I've noticed a trend
3: My humans do this thing where they go around And get all my toys and hide them in this basket
1: But it's always the same basket And it's always the same place And then they act so surprised when I find them But I'm like, hello that's where you put it last time. Humans are the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org.
0: Hey now, it's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right. Stitcher is radio on demand. Now, you can download the free app today, and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Now, if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover forty. 4T- thousand news entertainment and sports shows such as jsc radio you can create custom playlists you can rate and review this show and others on stitcher please drop a friendly review on the show not only is stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets it's also in over 4 million card dashboards It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. If you don't have the Stitcher app, simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio, be sure to check it out. You're listening to the People's Podcast. And we swagger when we walk, because by God we can. This is Jay. S. C.
1: Radio.
2: So what exactly is emotional intelligence?
1: So the EQ Mm and the way I define it is the ability to manage yourself and your environment more effectively to get better outcomes.
2: Okay, and we also talked about during the commercial break that do you hear what you're not saying?
1: Yes, so that's around the perceptions component. That's the Mm -hmm. second P. So that's around building an effective brand and then maintaining that brand. Mm -hmm. Within the first seven seconds of seeing you, someone makes a judgment of your value or that you're not valuable. Mm -hmm. And you have the power to make that difference. So what you're not saying can impact how your message is received.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children, of all ages welcome back to jsc radio Episodia 89 that's episode 89 in spanish Jay scott smith here and uh wanted to kind of do a more proper introduction I want to shout out my man doc illingsworth whose track mock punch off his new album you're no fun that's what you hear underneath you right now I want to shout out the man awesome jones who does the intro track for this show every week is called Blue Chucks. Hit him up on SoundCloud.com/slash awesome O S S I M Jones. Be sure to hit that boy up. I want to shout out each and every one of y'all who support the show across all the different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, on Google Play and TuneIn, on Radio Public and Audio Boom, and on Spotify, and of course iHeartRadio and Player FM. So hit it up, Player. Be sure also to check out the new YouTube page. I got the link for you down below, bit.ly. It's a bit.ly link, bit.ly slash JSC Tube to check out the YouTube page. I wanna big up everybody who's checking me out on Patreon, patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Thank you, Anna Stevens, the latest patron on patreon.com slash JSC Radio. We keep getting bigger every single week. Back-to-back weeks at that. Back at you with a little consistency or trying to be around here anyway. So I want to thank all of y'all. Be sure to hit up the Patreon page and there's going to be more stuff coming as we go along and you get exclusive first cracks at hearing this episode. You got to hear the first segment of this show first on Patreon. So thank you so much. So much for all the support on this program, on this podcast that has Still going strong through everything that's been going on this year. This podcast continues to persevere. There are ways you can persevere out here. The gentleman you heard in the intro there is a brother by the name of Marion E. Brooks. And anybody who knows me knows I'm very well read, I'm a pretty learned individual. But I'm not big on reading books. I've never been super huge on quote unquote self-help books until maybe the last couple of years, where I've paid more attention to guys like Gary Vee and and Tony Robbins. And Marion E. Brooks is different. It's a black man that I hadn't really heard of him before until an event that was held in Harlem. Yes, I know New York City.
3: Yeah back in
0: September. And that's actually where I had run into uh, Brittany Noble. You may know her from episode 85, which is still the most downloaded episode in the history of this show by a mile. Shout out to her. And Marion was at the event talking with my Grio colleague, Natasha Alford, about this book called What You Don't Know Is Hurting You, Four Keys to a Phenomenal Career. And you heard him, one of the things he was talking about is a central aspect of his book talking about emotional intelligence or the emotional quotient or EQ, which is the offset of the IQ, the intelligence quotient. Well, rather than have me go on and on explaining that, I was able to get that brother in front of me and we were able to talk about his book, his really incredible rise as an executive in the pharmaceutical industry and able to get to know more about what drove him to write this book He's been on this tour, he's been all over the country talking about it, the fact that the day I talked to him earlier this week, actually, when I did this interview, he was coming off of meetings and running all over the place and we were able to meet up, yes I know, in New York City.
3: New York City! To talk
0: about this book and also to get more insight on his life. So I would like to welcome, from earlier this week, Marion E. Brooks, the best-selling author of his new book, what you don't know is hurting you. It's time for another conversation on JSC Radio. My name is Jay Scott Smith. Welcome back. This is JSC Radio. You're listening to the People's Podcast. Coming to you once again from wouldn't say the greatest city in the world because I grew up in the greatest city in the world, but second greatest city in the world, New York City. I am here and honored to be speaking with a best-selling author. He spent 20 years. as a corporate executive, 20 plus years I should say, as a corporate executive in the pharmaceutical industry, but he's written his first book. He's an internationally certified executive coach. His first book is called, What You Don't Know Is Hurting You. Four keys to a phenomenal career. We're all trying to get ourselves right. We're all trying to get our careers right. Whether you're a journalist, whether you're working as a banker, whether you're trying to do, whether you're trying to make videos, whether you're trying to do podcasting like me, we're all trying to get right. And we need to know the methods to success. And I'm sitting here, with one of the more successful individuals I've ever had in front of me on this show, Mr. Marion E. Brooks, Mr. Brooks, welcome to JSC Radio. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it, it, the the excitement level and the pleasure is all mine. And I wanted to, at first, I always like to start these off by getting to know the person I'm talking to, because you're you're you've done so much. You're an author. You've been a you you've worked as a pharmaceutical executive. It just give me a little background on you so the world can get to know you. You've been on TV. I've seen you everywhere. I've talked, I've, I've talked to people about you before. You, were, you had this amazing story. Tell us a little bit more about you and how you grew up because I know you're coming to us from the state of Texas. Yes. You're, you're just like my mother's from the South, too. So you're, you're a Southern guy, just like my, mother, my mother's from the South, too.
1: Tell me, about your, tell me about your upbringing. Tell me a little bit more about you. Okay, so yes, so if you look at all of the credentials and all the things that you are describing, you wouldn't expect that from me if you look at the statistics and where I started. Uh, I was born to a single mom with three children by three different fathers. And the ironic thing about it is she was the first child of my grandparents to have a child out of wedlock. My grandfather was a minister, my grandmother was a first lady. She was the youngest of four and she didn't have just one, she had three. And then my dad, he has 11 children by 10 different women. Wow. Yes. So early on, I was discounted and counted out of the game. I remember one Thanksgiving. uh, I was around six or seven years old. And I came in from outside, and all the adults were in the kitchen area. And I heard someone ask, whose boy is that? And when they said my parents' name, they said, oh, he doesn't have a chance. That kid won't be anything. Wow. And so I started crying and I went to the back and uh, my grandmother eventually came back there and she said, what's wrong with you? And I was like, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I wasn't eavesdropping, but I heard what they said about me and I want to know why. Is it the way I look? Is it the way I play? Why would someone say that about me? And my grandmother, who was my guiding light and savior pretty much, said people will put their limitations on you if you allow them to. What I want you to understand is the only limits you have are the ones that you accept. And she said, I was born in Texas in 1915 as a black woman, and I went to college you will go to college and far beyond. So she gave me hope, but she also showed me how. And that was just one example of what the, my grandmother did to make me into the man that I am today. But she always gave me hope, but she also showed me how to be a good person, the value of investing in other people, financial responsibility, all of those ingredients that have helped me to be successful, she gave me the foundation.
0: You dedicated, I noticed at the very start of the book, oh, yes. there was a me- there was a message to her. What's your uh, grandmother's name? Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah, I yeah. saw the dedication to her at the start of the book, and you eventually did go on to college. You went to uh, University of Texas, Arlington. Yes. Now, you're originally from Arlington, Texas, or, or I'm where? I'm from Fort Worth. I'm Fort Worth, originally you, from Fort Worth. Just outside of Dallas. Okay, yes. so uh, UT, Arlington. You got your MBA from Amberton University in Garland, Texas. Yes. So just it, it, to hear about that, about the importance of education, especially for, obviously, for young black men. Oh, absolutely. And coming up in a family in a family situation like you had, and I noticed that you you'd mentioned your grandmother's influence and the importance of all the, of what she's instilled in you. And I noticed that you you said in the book. I remember reading that you you gleaned a fair amount of your attitude and the way you you wanted to you use your grandmother as like a motivator for who you wanted to be as a person. Absolutely. And and I saw that. And there was a point where you were very reflective, where you mentioned that even though you wanted to be like your grandmother, you did notice at times you had some of your mother's traits as you were going along and you were able to root some of, I guess, root that out or kind of, or kind of make that a different part of who you are. I guess, kind of explain the importance of, of family and on what, that had, what that's had on you and what that continues to have on you now.
1: So it's a great question, and one of the things that you were just describing is the power of my grandmother, Sunshine. So her grandmother was half Native American, so Sunshine was her birth name. And what she did, she gave me a great example of what to be, but I wasn't that yet, right? And how to be. She had incredible emotional intelligence. And my mother is one of the smartest people I have ever met. Her IQ is off the charts, but she struggles with emotional intelligence and that control. And I used to see how she interacted with my grandmother and my grandmother never reacted to her. She always responded. And my grandmother always looked like the one in control and my mother looked like the one out of control. And I wanted to be more like sunshine. But as I got older, I realized when my triggers, when someone triggered me, I reacted just like my mother. So I had to be conscious of that and take action and learn. That's why emotional intelligence is so important. There are a lot of smart people out there with high IQs but not a lot of emotionally intelligent people out there and 80% of success is based on emotional intelligence so I saw that example as a little kid I didn't know what it was but I knew I wanted to be like that and and you know what as we talk as we're going to talk about
0: this book because the term emotional intelligence and I know it's called EQ in the book it's also emotional quotient in the book IQ versus EQ yes and since you brought that up because emotional intelligence is very important. What is the difference for people who may not get it? The difference between your IQ versus your EQ?
1: So for me, IQ um, is just being smart, right? That's something that's innate, something that you learn. But it peaks around puberty, around the time you get out of high school. Your IQ is pretty much at its peak right Mm -hmm. with emotional intelligence you can learn it and my definition is your ability to manage yourself and your environment more effectively to get better outcomes so there are four quadrants of emotional intelligence people don't really know that and understanding their triggers so once you understand your triggers you're able to manage yourself more effectively and once you're able to evaluate your environment more from a critical lens you are able to manage your environment more effectively what would you say are the signs of a good EQ? The signs of a good EQ. Now, One of them is self-awareness. So the primary and the foundation of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So being able to identify when you are being productive and unproductive based on the decisions that you're making, and also understanding the things that bother you and how you react when, the, when you're bothered versus respond. So there's a big difference. And then <clears throat> being able to do, take the awareness to control. So someone is comes up and they're yelling at you and they're doing all this stuff versus you jumping back right at them, being able to identify, okay, what are my options here? How do I maintain control? How do I show up as the leader in this situation? So being able to activate what uh, is called your prefrontal cortex. So I'll step back real quick. So when you're reacting, people with low emotional intelligence, their amygdala its the Primitive aspect of the brain It's the part of the fight or flight or freeze component of the brain from our ancestors. You know the primitive component, and you just are in the moment. This is how I am. If they hadn't, I would I wouldn't have. Those are the types of things that people with low IQ, I mean EQ, say. But if you have a higher uh, EQ, you're activating the prefrontal cortex. That's the complex thinking and problem-solving part of your brain with questions like, "What are my options here?" How do I stay in the moment? How do I show up as the leader? Those types of things. And there, and, and that is a, a good point. I, I,
0: I got to learn a lot about the amygdala. You even mentioned amygdala hijacking is yes. a term that I, I saw in there when you let people, almost like when you let your when you let things like anger or just an attitude kind of take control of you where people, because almost as if you, when you react a certain way, they've got you.
1: They got you. They're in control of your behavior at that point. And it's, that's one of the things I want people to know about emotional intelligence. It's not about being passive. It's about managing the situation and yourself. And when you react to how someone else is behaving towards you, you have just given them control over your behavior. And I don't ever want to give my control. away. And that's because I,
0: I I don't know because I don't know if you played sports or not growing up. Yes. I, I was a I was a I played baseball basketball, and football. Right. football coaches are always good for kind of having little tidbits like this. And when I'm reading some of this, it's like it, it's like you it, it's almost like someone took some of the stuff I've heard from football coaches but really broke it down. Like you can't let somebody get in your head like that and really make you kind of get off yeah. get 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 off, get off get off of your focus. And when I think about it when when you've mentioned things like this, when you look at the business world for example, who are some of, like some of the leaders of I mean, examples in the business world of having like a high EQ, a high a, a high emotional emotional quotient?
1: Uh, I would definitely say Oprah. Uh, hers is I think off the charts. Bill Gates handles situations extremely well. Uh, as well from my perspective, I really like the way he handles like even hecklers. I would say President Obama does a fantastic job of staying in the moment and looking at other ways to manage a situation or a conversation, and it's that pivot to say, okay, now they're doing this, now what are my options? Because one option is always to come right back at them. Another option is to address it from a different way, engage somebody else, or separate from the situation. Why is it that the folks that won the last election are so mad all the time? Those are some of the examples, I think, that uh, people who demonstrate very high EQs.
0: Obviously, it says a lot about this in the book, but how can people improve their EQ? Say if you're someone, and if, I mean, I'll, I will look at always look at ways to try to better myself, too. Yeah. And I've been at this 15 years. I've been doing this podcast for two years. I've been, I've been doing all this different stuff, but I always want to look at ways to get better. So if someone comes up to you and says, I feel like I'm not, I'm not as self-aware as I should be, or maybe I recognize there are some issues where I'm quick to shift blame or point things, How can somebody improve that EQ to make sure they're not in this, continue to be in the same situation?
1: Well, other than reading the book and getting the tips there as well, um, I think a key thing, one of the simple things that you can do today, so everyone listening, you can do this today and it'll help to grow your EQ. Actually, just go home and reflect on your day. Reflect on what went well and what did not go well. And the things that didn't go well during the day, write out what you would have liked the outcome to have been and then focus on what you could have done differently.
0: So so let's just say this, I'm, I'm in an office and getting along, at least I think I'm getting along pretty well about my day and there's probably something that goes wrong or it, maybe there's a miscommunication. And next thing you know, you're, you've are you got an editor, you've got a coworker in your ear, basically. Rather than say lashing out or, or trying to go back and forth with them, it's take the time to really reflect on, okay, what can I do here immediately and then going forward, what can can be done to avoid the situation?
1: Exactly. So the first thing, if you're engaged with someone, first you want to make sure that you take a breath. So take just taking a breath and saying and asking yourself a different question So versus why is this person doing this? Why are they so incompetent? Why are they so aggressive? All of those negative things, you have to change the questions you ask yourself to activate your prefrontal cortex. So the question can be, OK, How do I manage this situation and show up? I always tell people, show up as the leader. Remind yourself that you need to be the leader in every situation, even if they're your boss. You need to show up as a leader. So what are some of the options that I have to do that? So in in the heat of it, and then also understand if you've been triggered. So what are the things that you know that are innate to you? Like for me, I don't like bullies. I do not like bullies at all. Me neither. And most people don't like bullies, but I have a visceral reaction to bullies to where I'm going to put them in their place, but that puts them in control of my behavior. So you can manage bullies different ways. You can say, you can come right back at them and give them what they're giving, or you can say, I think your tone and your energy is a little too aggressive right now. I don't think we'll find a good solution. So why don't we come back together at another time? It might make them more angry, but who looks like the person in charge? And then if they continue, you can say, I'm beginning to feel uncomfortable with this situation. I think we might need to have a third party intervene. In in that situation, you have gotten your objective. So your objective was to diffuse them and to put them in their place, right? But you did it in a much more professional way and no one could criticize your behavior based on how you handled it. That's an emotionally intelligent intelligent response to a bully. It's being able to handle tight situations without getting tight yourself. So, exactly, manage yourself and your environment more effectively. And one of the key things I, I did want to uh, drop as well around EQ and IQ, when you're amygdala or you're having an amygdala hijack, you lose a, a, on average 10 IQ points. So your argument is not as articulate or well crafted and structured as it could have been because now you've gotten caught up in the emotion and we never want to lose IQ points. And
0: that, and that's true because if people and anybody who's listening may know this, if you, get, if you get angry at certain points, you get mad somebody really gets underneath your skin, people will start to stumble or start to stutter or they'll say the wrong thing and it leaves, it's like leaving you wide open. Yeah. Yeah, when so, you're di- when you're distracted, when you're off, you can tell. Absolutely, and it and it shows. You had a you had an anecdote in the book, and it it jumped out to me because I'm very I, I'm very descriptive facially. Where in an in, <laughs> and when you talked about this, it made me think of all the different times where it can read very well on my face. If I'm in a good mood, you know it as soon as I walk in the room. If I'm feeling something, you s- you see it. It's right there. If I'm not feeling it, even if I think I'm just chilling, I'm good. I'm not. Uh, my, I'd have the worst poker face in the world. And there was an anecdote you you gave in the book about you were at a meeting and a speaker. You could tell the speaker didn't know what he was talking about. Or usually wouldn't know what you are talking about. And you thought you were doing a good job of kind of masking it, but somebody noticed it, and it turned out to be a very great teachable moment for you. You can you can go you know, and obviously I know people can read about it more in the book, but kind of go into that a little bit more here, just what that's like. And for people who. Or like me, who, whose face might tell on them a little bit. I always hear the old adage like my mom or my aunt would say, fix your face.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's the first thing I think of. I got that a lot as a kid <laughs> myself. You, gotta, you need to fix your face. That's the yeah. only thing I keep hearing in my mother's southern accent is that you got to fix your face. But what, what, how, how important is that to be able to kind of work on that aspect, too, the facial cues and things we give away in body
1: language? So that's one of the things that I say. what are you not saying? Right? You know, what are you saying that you don't think that you're saying with your body language and your facial expressions? So, the example you're referring to is I was in a new role and we were in this huge meeting. It was one of the uh, most important meetings of the year. And the speaker was up there and he was all over the place. And I was thinking, this guy is all over the place. He has no idea what he's talking about, all these things. But I thought I was engaging still. And after the meeting, my new boss, asked me into her office. And she said, you know, I want to give you some feedback. You thought he was incompetent. You thought all of these things. And I was like, how, how did she know that? She was like, it was written all over your face. And you looked just as bad in that meeting as he did. Wow. And I was like, whoa okay? And she's like, you have to manage that more effectively because you're delivering a message. What you think shows up in your body language and your facial expressions, no matter what you think you're doing, what the things that you're saying in your head show up. So I tell people, be conscious of that. So if you're thinking something negative or if you're even if you're like not confident or you think these people are thinking this about me, it shows up in your body language. So you have to manage that and you manage it with your mind and the stories that you're telling yourself and what you allow to seep in it's that's all a part of that self-awareness
0: self-awareness it's it's such a huge thing is is self-awareness and i i see this a lot in myself where the older i've gotten i've started to become a little bit more cognizant of how i of how i not only others perceive me but how i look and thinking okay i need to do this better where maybe in my 20s i probably wouldn't have said you know no that's that's not me that's that's got to be them. that has got to be them doing this right now it's no, it's me. It's me. And, and it's, that seems to be a tough part for people to figure out sometimes is just the self-awareness aspect
1: of it. Let me tell you, I've had so many clients come to me being victims of what someone else was doing. And after we broke it down, it was them. And there were things that they could have done differently. Now, I'm not saying that the other people were not doing those things, but they were not looking at the options they had to maintain their power. And so that's what I really teach and coach a lot around, is how do you maintain your, po- your power, because there's always an opportunity in every obstacle. But we focus so much on the obstacle, we miss the opportunity. So I help people to identify the opportunity in their obstacles so they can grow. And what drew you to coaching? Because you had this very successful career in the
0: pharmaceutical industry. But what was it that called you to want to help people, to be able to coach, to be able to teach?
1: I, it's a, um, I think a continuation of my grandmother's uh, purpose of investing in people and all the investment that she did investing that she did in me and I started uh, at one point in my career I was coaching um, new hires I was in the training department and it's the job that I enjoy the most in my life I do a lot of mentoring and all of those things and what I realize is that I get the greatest joy out of watching people go from point A to point B and playing a part in helping them get there. And so with the coaching component of it, I had a great executive coach uh, at one point in my career when I was stuck and he helped me get unstuck by making some changes within me. And I was like, wow, I would love to be able to do that for people. And so I was, as you said, very successful. i climbed the ladder and realized that I think the ladder was up against the wrong wall that I had climbed because I was successful making more money than I ever thought that I would, but I was still unfulfilled and unhappy. So I started searching for my purpose. And I went to this event. I'll tell this story real quick, but I went to this event called The Life You Want It was Oprah's tour. She was touring the country Mm -hmm. and I went, it was like a two, three day event. And at one point we had to write out what our lives would look like in full color. What would we like for our lives to look like? And I added, if money didn't matter and failure wasn't an option. Wow. And when I wrote it out, it was a very emotional time period because what I realized is that I had never given myself the permission to think about what I would really want to do. It was always what I thought I could do or what I had to do versus what I wanted to do. And so I wrote it out and I keep it on my coffee table at home now. Uh, Anytime I get frustrated or anything, I go back to it. But I wrote that I would be uh, a coach, I wrote that I would spend my life living my purpose of investing pe- in people full time and that I would be an author with three books. So I'm already internationally yeah. certified, one book, two more books you're, to go. You're
0: a third of the way there. Yes. How, do you, how are you able to balance it? Because this is because you're still working yes. in this industry while coaching and writing this book. How have you been able to keep all that together? Because there are days where I struggle to remember where I put my glasses when I get up in the morning. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're out here doing all this, what makes that, what, what makes you keep going? How are
1: you able to pull this all off? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, so I, I prioritize. Number one, I prioritize my energy and what I'm doing, but everything I do now at this point in my life is around my purpose. So everything, like the the job that I do, I lead a team that generates over $950 million a year, but my job is to coach and to develop and all of those things with those people and to give them feedback and to support them. And so that's part of my purpose. Right? And so, exactly. with the book and with the coaching, it's all investing in people. So, all of it uh, can become a lot sometimes. You know, I have to step back and uh, re you know, energize myself, but it's all purpose driven. So, it, it's, it's not as hard, but I have to prioritize my energy. And I've learned an important word no. I have to say no to some things. That's to one say of the yes. most, one
0: most important words in the English language.
1: Yes. And I've learned that I have to say no to some things to say yes to the big things exactly and having that time and it a lot of that goes into Self-awareness. Self-awareness. It all all ties back in together. That's why I say that the EQ is 80% of success. And I'm not just saying it. Research shows it over and over. They've done it between 70 and 80% of people's success is going to be focused on emotional intelligence. And that's why I want to try to educate people a little bit more about it. Because most people have heard about it, but they don't know their triggers. They don't know the four quadrants. And they don't know what to do in the moment to maintain control and that's why i'm trying to give them um those tips and also it's not that hard to do that's what i want people to know managing your eq being aware is the first step you're already 10 steps ahead of the majority of people if you work on your self-awareness and you know about eq and you know when you've been triggered or you have demonstrated a poor eq you're already ahead of the curve
0: and we're only halfway through this conversation coming up after the break we're going to be talking about the types of attitudes you could possibly try to expect from political leaders who actually know how to get the job done. Plus, we try not to take things personally along the way in our next conversation. And Marion gives a very eye-opening answer to the question of what he feels throughout his remarkable career that he could have done a whole lot better. My name is J. Scott Smith, and this is the 89th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The People's Podcast.
3: What do you do if you forget a lyric? I keep stepping.
0: This is JSC Radio.
1: Man, do I love card nights. You ready, boys? You got a king?
0: Go,
2: fish,
3: dad! Oh,
1: come on! (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit
3: fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. People are always looking to invest in a good opportunity. So what if you could invest in the future of kids, like a stock? Not the kind of stock that's about making money, but a stock for social change called Better Futures. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name is Charles, and I'm your dividend.
1: Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org/invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in, brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to The People's Podcast.
3: I'm not going to be responsible for what happens
0: next. This is J.S.C radio.
2: You know, speaking on, you know, how you actually execute all of these uh, ideas,
3: what is like the most common mistake that you see millennials in particular making when they're trying to land a job?
1: Uh, It's actually networking. So they go in and they ask people for a job versus asking for insights. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a thing where people show up and they feel like they're around a lot of parasites. So the key thing I tell millennials to do is to go in and do some research before you get there, identify some people you want to learn something from and ask them for some time to get insights on how they got to where they are versus asking for a job. Once you build a relationship, people will be willing to support you and help you. But yeah. if you come in asking and trying to take all the time, you turn people off.
0: This is the 89th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. Gonna have more with Marion in a second. Again, want to thank my man Doc Illingsworth, whose music you hear underneath you right now. Be sure to hit him up on the Twitter machine at Illingsworth. You can get at me on the Twitter machine at J Scott Smith. That's J A Y S C O two T's S M I T H. You can get at the show, of course, at JSC Radio. We're on the Facebook, also verified there too, at Real J Scott Smith, and we are on Instagram. Regardless of what you say, Instagram, you will verify me. I am also. J. Scott Smith on Instagram. You can follow Marion on Twitter at Marion E. Brooks, at Marion E. Brooks on the Twitter machine and on Instagram. So now to get back to this conversation we were having, last we left off, we were talking about the value of self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Now we kind of get over to a different aspect of things, which includes not taking things personally. We'll get more into that and so much more as the conversation with Marion E. Brooks, the author of the best selling book, What You Don't Know Is Hurting You, continues right here on the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Let's get back to it. As you talk about this, and I think about it, I mean, a lot of self awareness is also understanding that you can't always take everything personally. I'm guilty of that. I, I, I'm <laughs> full on guilty of that. I have an ego. Sometimes even if they're not coming at me, I'm in my own head sometimes. It, it, it was like that. I think about when I was one of the first years I was playing baseball and I had a, the kid overthrows me by a little bit. I was playing first base. Kid overshot me by about a half foot, ball goes over my glove. And I'm so in my head the rest of the way thinking How did I screw this up? Instead of just saying, you gotta let it go. The older you get, you let that go where, yeah, it happens, or you'll drop a ball or go through your legs. You don't let it haunt you that much. But I was even, I always hear it all the time, don't take it personally, don't take it personally. Well, how can I not take it personally? Well, now that I've got you in front of me, how can I and others not take things personally, whether it's criticism or shortcomings or, or intermittent failures, or not even failures, just things not going right? Things of that
1: nature. So that, that's, um, I love that question because it goes back to finding the opportunity in your obstacle because there's all an, always an opportunity, but people, again, get focused on the obstacle. And Nelson Mandela has this great quote. He says, I never lose. I either win or learn. So taking each situation as a learning opportunity of what you can do differently, more effectively, or more with more impact is the key to getting past that but also not taking things personally. Uh, It's a great book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I live by this book and it'll change your life if you follow The Four Agreements. The most important ones to me are don't take things personally Mm -hmm. and don't make assumptions. So I will sit back and I will say, okay, this situation happened and I felt this way and I behaved this way based on how I felt, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, that means, Okay, I took that personally. And nothing that someone else does is personal towards you. It's always based on the story that they are telling themselves, the situation that they come from, their background. So being able to be conscious and say, okay, this person just did that, that has nothing to do with me. But what what we do, very often, is we take other people's issues and make them our own when we get in our head about what they just did or like someone passed by you and didn't speak today. And we start telling ourselves a story. Oh, they must be mad at me about the report or they didn't, this didn't happen, or maybe I'm not getting the promotion. So we start telling ourselves all these stories and guess what happens when we start telling ourselves those stories? Our behaviors are focused on what the story we were telling ourselves and not reality. So we start behaving like this and the other person thinks we're crazy. So that's the the risk of taking things personally. Don't make assumptions. Ask.
0: Always ask. And people, people, are, it's almost, it's people are projecting, essentially, what they're dealing with onto you.
1: And onto you. And it's, some of it is legitimate from their lens as far as their experiences or what they've been through. And when someone does that, typically, this is what it means. But they are making assumptions and taking something personal. And a lot of the times I've had conversations with people where I've done that and I was thinking something. I said, I better ask them. And it's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I was seeming distant today. My mother's sick. And you feel like an idiot at that point because you've told yourself this whole story exactly. Around the yeah. No, exactly. No,
0: I get that, and, and I find myself seeing that from others. And it's just where so often than not, they're thinking that oh, this did you. I've had people ask me, "Is like, were you in a bad mood? Did I do something wrong?" No, I didn't even realize that goes back to maybe my face might tell a different story, but, <laughs> but I just go be like, no, actually, this is not an issue at all. I didn't know you had a problem, and then by the, by that point, it's all
1: it's all hashed out yes. because it sometimes it's just as simple as a miscommunication. I was gonna say, communication. So, and then also though, when people do certain things not taking it personal is extremely important, like really important because sometimes you be like, no, they did that on purpose. Yes, they may have done that on purpose, but it, was, it had nothing to do with you. It could have been any old person in the world that they would have done that to, so it's not personal towards you. Now, you don't have to accept that type of behavior from anyone, but you can't take it on and make it your issue. Exactly. Don't take other people's issues and make them your own, and that's what you do when you take it personal. You can't carry somebody Else's weight, you cannot carry their weight. It, it's it, it makes it, it makes total sense. And you,
0: you mentioned earlier, you, you talked about how some people who had high emotional EQ and, and are able to kind of let that stuff just go right mm-hmm. off their back, like the likes of Oprah, where I've seen so many speeches where she just it doesn't even phase her, it doesn't even bother her. It doesn't bother her. There are guys, guys like Barack Obama, where I just recently had seen where he was doing a campaign stop for mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Gillum, and there's a heckler in there, and he just handles it just so
1: smoothly. That's the EQ, because he handled the man now, he, the, the, his objective, so it's really important with any time you're doing those types of things, what is your objective? His objective in that situation that you're describing was to defuse the man. And he did it. And who looked like the leader? He didn't start yelling back at him. He didn't start um, to lose control. He he showed up as the leader, and he kind of scolded the man in a nice way and said, "Hey, do you realize what you're doing? Yeah.
0: yeah. Are, are are you are you here to support us? Or are you here to support? What, what's the point? the point? And he and he's very very calm, very cool. very cool. Some of the some of the all-time great athletes have the same kind of mindset. Things don't rattle, and they get things get tight. The tight game late either ninth inning of a baseball game, fourth quarter of a basketball game, football yeah. game, and they aren't sweating. Yeah. They aren't worrying about it. You can tell they're not panicking, and, and you see that. When we talked about that earlier, you brought up Obama, and we're, we're in the midst of an election. Yes. And you look at some of our elected officials, I'm not going to name any names, but they, they, they know what I'm talking about. And yeah. there, there's, there's some elected officials where you see them, and could be particular Political party, because there's some on both sides who could do a lot better job of this. What should voters look for in their elected officials? What should people look for in their elected officials when it comes to when it comes time to vote them in? What you're going to run? What should you look for in in someone running for for political office at any level?
1: For me, it's extremely important to have someone who manages themselves as a leader in all situations, and it's really critical. Like people with low emotional intelligence. They can be successful to a point, but what you have to realize, especially if they are a leader, I don't care if they are the city council or you know, the senate, what happens is, is that when you have low emotional intelligence, you don't keep eight players on your team. <laughs> because A players will not deal with that type of behavior because guess what? They have options. Exactly. B players have options. So eventually you're going to end up with a bunch of C and D players who can't do any better on your team. And so if you're leading something for a larger group, the group is going to suffer, whether it's a um, the school in your district or it's your state because you will be ineffective because you will not be able to keep the best people on your team. And that's what people don't understand. When you're looking at political leaders, you need someone who's going to be able to keep the best people around them because we are much smarter than me is what I always tell people. So you need smart people around you and if you want the best, you have to show emotional intelligence, you have to show respect, and you always have to treat people with dignity. And if you're not doing that, you're going to lose people.
0: The team You're only as good as the team around
1: you. You're only as good as the team around you. And people with low emotional intelligence, they can start off with a great team, but they're going to eventually end up with a D team. Because those are the people who are like, well, I don't, I don't care. And the other thing, <clears throat> as far as that is concerned, is that people won't work as hard for you they will do their job and they will go home. Now, if people feel that you respect them and that you're investing in them and that if they make a mistake, you're going to protect them and help them to grow, they're gonna work much harder for you. And I've done it and I've had people do it for me. You go above and beyond for those types of people. People who are not treating you with respect or that you don't trust, you don't work as hard. And I think if everyone thinks about that, they're like, okay, I'm getting my check, I have to do this, and at five o'clock I'm out of here where the other people are like, well, it's seven, but I don't want to disappoint Jay. Exactly. And so I'm going to work harder for Jay because I don't want to disappoint him. And this is my definition. The difference between a manager and a leader is managers require people to do things. Leaders inspire people to do things. And you want a politician that inspires people to do things because they'll do a lot more.
0: When I uh, hear that it's, and again, this is something you can apply to so many different things. You can apply it to politics. You can apply it to whether you're working in a news a newsroom. If you're if you're an athlete and or or you're a coach. If you're trying to coach somebody, it's the same thing. Some I I haven't played foot the la- when I played football. I still think about the stuff my football coach said to me. And it's been it's 22, 23 years ago. But there were things he said, and he always inspires you to want to do more. And even and and even at his advanced age now, if I still talk to him, he still has something to say. He still has those gems. And hearing that, it, it does make sense because I've worked with people where as soon as they start talking, you know, I want to run through a wall for this guy. Yes. I would. Did uh, you tell me what you need me to do? I don't care if it's four o'clock in the morning. Let me jump in the shower. Go get ready and we'll, and, and we'll make this rock and roll. And I've also, yeah. And as you mentioned there, too, I one of my favorite movies is Office Space. And I still think of a point where Peter is sitting there talking to his bosses and he says, the thing is, Bob. It's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Don't... don't care?
3: It's a problem of motivation, all right? Now, if I work my ass off and Intech ships a few extra units, I don't see another dime. So where's the motivation? Now, here's something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. I beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job, but you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired.
0: And you don't want to be the guy who just does enough to just, to avoid getting fired. That's where this, uh, that's where things, and people should really definitely need to read this book. And before I get to that, I have to ask this question. Of all the success you've had, what is something that you wish you could do over? Is Is there something that maybe you're saying, hey, it turned out really well, but it could have been better. Or did you? Is there something you maybe missed on that you thought you could improve on? And kind of looking, being a little self-reflective in everything that you've done.
1: Uh, so for me, it would be with my children. So I raised my daughter and my three nieces, and I think I could have been a better father at times. I think I could have been more focused. Wow. Because uh, I wasn't always present because I was trying. I was running from poverty. Right. So I didn't want to be poor anymore. So I was working so hard versus running towards prosperity. So sometime when I was together with them, I wasn't always as present as I should have been. And that's one of the things that I look back on. And I wish I had done differently. Wow. That is that is that kind of caught me off guard
0: there.
1: (laughs) Expect. I mean, and, and you were and you raised you said you raised a daughter plus your three nieces. Yes. I'm the father, I've been the father figure for all of them and they're um, my children and I love them all. And they're amazing young ladies. Like when everyone asked me, what's your greatest accomplishment? I was like, being their father. Watching these young ladies turn into who they become and playing a part in it—that's my greatest success.
0: That was actually going to be my next question. Yeah. is what you consider your greatest success? And clearly, you just—you just, just noted oh, it. Yeah. It's, your, it's your kids.
1: Oh yeah, those, those young ladies—they're they, just phenomenal. And being their father has been my greatest, uh, my greatest joy.
0: I would—I I would like to simply close it out with this. What's a message to somebody who's. And by the way, I should note Nathan Hale Williams, who yes. also helped you with this book, and his name is right is right on the cover of the book with you. Nathan Hale Williams, the two of you did a, such an awesome job on this book. Leaving this discussion here, what is a message you would like to give to people who may be dealing with issues in their office or trying to figure out maybe a new career or where they can go next? What would you suggest for them to do, say if right now they're at a crossroads of how can I get better at my job, or I, I feel kind of like where you were. Mm-hmm. I've been so successful, but there's so much more I want to do. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody listening right now who's maybe on those crossroads?
1: So if you're in a crossroads right now, I would say the main thing you need to realize is that you have power and you have options. And when we feel stuck, when we feel frustrated, or when we feel insecure about a role or what we're doing, it's usually because we see scarcity versus opportunity. So realize that you always have power, you always have options. The key thing is to realize and understand that you might not like all of the options, but the more you explore the options, the more options come towards you. What you focus on grows. What you focus on grows is what I always tell people. So if you focus on the negative, you focus on what's happening, and you focus on and put all your energy around that negative thing, it gets bigger and bigger and more people start to say yes they shouldn't be doing that to you or oh poor you and so that becomes bigger but if you start focusing on and asking yourself what are the options here what are the other things that i can do to ultimately get to where i want to go the universe starts to show you different options and then different people start to come into your life and different situations occur and you're like wow so always know that you have options and what you focus on grows so focus on success that's what i would say where can people get the book?
0: It's a simple question. Where can people find this book?
1: So they can get it at um, Amazon.com and they can also get it at my website, MarionEbrooks.com. M A R I O N. E, don't forget the E, B-R-O-O-K-S.
0: And you told me an interesting story about why that E is there in in Marion E. Brooks, to make sure we're not just saying Marion Brooks. What is the story behind the E in Marion
1: E. Brooks? So I'm named after my great uncle, uh, Dr. Marion J. Brooks, but it was just Dr. Marion Brooks. And in Fort Worth, Texas, he was the first African-American doctor to have credentials at the hospital. So if you Google Marion Brooks Fort Worth, it comes up, he is Marion Brooks, I'm Marion E. Brooks, because Dr. Brooks will always be the original Marion Brooks.
0: It's the same thing when people refer to me as Mr. Smith, I always say no, no, Mr. Smith's back in Detroit. <laughs> you, can just, you can just call me Jay. I Mar- Marion E. Brooks what you don't know is hurting you. The four keys to a phenomenal career obviously with help from Nathan Hale Williams. Thank you so much for coming on JSC Radio. I hope anybody who's listening to this I hope you've gotten a ton out of this. We're going to make sure that we have the link, the Amazon link to this book, as well as a link to your website in the description on this podcast, by the way, to make sure people can get an opportunity to get a hold of this amazing book. Marion Brooks, thank you so much for coming on JSC Radio. Thank you, Jay. I had a great time. I appreciate it. And there you have it. Another one in the books. Remember, here on JSC Radio, we don't do interviews. We have conversations, and I want to thank Marion Brooks for taking the time to have a conversation with me in the midst of his crazy schedule. That brother is back down in Texas right now, taking care of business, so I want to shout out to him. See, this is what happens when you get a Sigma and a Noop in the room. All sorts of great things happen along the way. I want to shout out Giselle Phelps of GJP Media, who helped put this entire thing together. She did a hell of a job setting this whole thing up for me. She's awesome one of my favorite Canadians ever and I want to make sure I shout her out. Be sure to follow GJP Media on social media and I just want to thank each and every one of y'all for supporting this show. There will be a link to Marion's book. You can get it on Amazon. It's going to be in the description of this thing and don't thank the conversations in there. Be sure to check us out next week for another milestone, the 90th episode of JSC Radio as I bring in Dr. Jennifer Caudill as we get to talk about your health, my health, and everybody else's health right here on the people's podcast. My name is Jay Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered and remember to adopt and don't shop. And we are out of here. Of course, all the love in the world to those of you in Thousand Oaks, California. You've been through so much but we still got your back out here. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. I
3: have eight different bosses right now. I beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob... That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired.
0: You're listening to The People's Podcast. Have you ever been unemployed? Were you nervous, Nick? Yeah. All right. This is JSC Radio.
3: I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it,